Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's Matt Browning, and I am ready to sit down with another creative innovator, entrepreneur, someone just out there taking names, kicking butt, and doing some really cool things. He's also a, uh, uh, become a very close friend of mine over the last couple of years. His name is Jesse Mogul. Jesse, now, he, uh, he has a successful podcast called College Speaking. Uh, I should actually know that already. It's College Success Habits. And you know he goes out and speaks in colleges and high schools and, uh, and you know, learns and, and studies with some of the greatest people that uh, are putting education together. He spent 12 years attending college, and he says he's not a doctor. Um, he's also been an internationally published journalist. He's worked in Singapore, the Bahamas, Western Europe. He's been a radio DJ, a photocopy editor for multiple different publications. He's also been a news anchor for local television, mentored uh, by Brooke Castillo, who has uh, the Life Coach School. I'm also uh, blessed and honored to be one of his mentors, along with Jay Menez. Uh, he's worked with companies like Disney, Universal Studios, the Climate Reality Project, University of Florida, University of Santa California, University of California, Los Angeles. He's an avid motorcycle rider. We're going to chat about that because I am too. He's actually, well, you know, we'll get into some of his stories. Super excited about this. Um, and he's an avid mountaineer, uh, a concert attender, attended over 700 concerts. That's incredibly uh, crazy. I can't wait to find out a little more about this guy. Jesse Mogul, welcome to the show. How are you? Welcome. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to be on your show. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, reading, re- reading through some of, uh, you know, your bio and doing the research for this interview, uh, you just, you had me laughing. So one of the first things I want to ask you about is, how long you been riding a bike? Because I waited until I was later in life in my mid-30s to get a motorcycle, and you have done a coast-to-coast journey. Uh, tell me how long you been riding, and tell me what prompted this. Tell me about the, the, the journey. Uh, what prompted me to even get a motorcycle to begin with was moving to Los Angeles and not being able to afford a car when I first got here. And when I started pricing out scooters, realizing I could get an actual motorcycle for way cheaper, and my my dad and my uncle both ride Harleys. And so they were very encouraging of me getting a motorcycle. And so in 2010, I got my very first, it was a Honda. Oh, it was a tiny little bike. It was maybe like a 500. A Rebel? Yeah. It looked a lot like a rebel. I can't remember it, what it was now. Poor little guy ended up just falling apart on me, but uh, it was my first bike. <laughs> I owned that for uh, a year and a half. And then I got my current one, a 97 Honda. 1100 cc shadow and that's the one i took from coast to coast and border to border and uh, the summer of 2012 well wow. how, how many miles did you put in the saddle Twelve thousand over the course of four months though about a month of it i stay I, I stayed with friends in florida and my dad in dallas and so i was really only on the road for about three months of that and that whole thing started because uh, when my mom passed away um, i had her cremated and one of the things I swore to my family and myself that I would do is I would take her all around the world with me on my travels and spread her ashes. And so that summer, I decided to just be crazy and, and ride my motorcycle to all these amazing locations that we either wanted to go to but weren't able to because she had Crohn's or um, 
we had gone to and I thought she'd really love to have her ashes at. So she's you know, at Yellowstone. She's at Mount Rushmore. She's at Graceland. She's on, you know, this, it's like 170 places over the course of those four months I spread her at. Wow. What, what an incredible story. You know, I interviewed someone in the archives uh, that, that traveled across the world and back with his father's ashes, wrote a whole book on it. You should, uh, you should kick around writing a book. That's a pretty cool story. Oh yeah, that's definitely in the works. And in fact, the whole philosophy of what I was doing for that ride, um, I've turned into a television show and I'm shopping it around Los Angeles as we speak with the idea of turning that into a documentary or a TV show or something to that extent. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen with that in the future. I'm really excited about it. It could even be like a, a Parks and Rec or 30 Rock kind of like a, a comedy show, too. That could be interesting. <laughs> I have a comedy writer friend who turned it, who was able to turn multiple stories I had from that four months into very hilarious. Uh, I don't know if they call them screenplays, whenever it's a sitcom, but whatever they call those, it was quite hilarious. He's like, dude, this would be this thing. It's like a my name is Earl kind of idea behind it, but it's, a, it's sure. very it's very funny. Uh, hopefully you can get in on some of that. So um, <laughs> you, you've, I mean, you've been through all sorts of different things and I, I could, you know, pick and choose and whatnot. But one of the, one of the coolest things I think um, that I know you, you have another podcast uh, about sobriety and recovery and you've been through, you know, a ton of stuff. So, so I, I want to talk a little bit about your first, I want to talk about some of your, like your journalism. Did, when you were a kid, did you know you wanted to be like a, a journalist? You wanted to do television work you wanted to do that sort of thing or is this something that happened later in life what, what was your personality growing up what did you want to be when you were a kid oh uh, you know of the with the day I knew I wanted to be a journalist was in third grade and I was going to Mary Evelyn Castle in Indianapolis and one of the assignments had been to interview a teacher and then write a story about the teacher from the information we gathered and so I went and interviewed the teacher and when I turned in my story I turned it in literally the way that I asked the questions what is your name where are you from and then the answer right underneath it and then the next line question two when I gave it to the teacher she's like no no you she's like I did the interviewing part right, but you didn't write it correctly. Let me show you. And she pulls out a newspaper and she starts to explain to me how the questions I asked should look more like what I'm reading in this newspaper. And I was completely blown away by that concept. I had never read a newspaper before. It wasn't even in my universe to understand that. And immediately from her explaining that, I just dove into newspapers and started reading it with a, with a fury to the point where my mom actually got me a, a subscription to the Indianapolis Star and then a few years later to the USA Today. And that was it. I, from the moment that woman explained to me, this is how you write a story, I was convinced that I'm going to travel the world and interview people and that everybody has an interesting story if told correctly. And I want to be the one who does that. And it was, I've, and even though my career has changed wildly since third grade and I've done so many things, it's all been under the whole umbrella of journalism and telling stories. That's the vision of my life hasn't changed just the direction of it has. Third grade, you know, it's always so fascinating to me when, you know, you, you meet someone who's so entrepreneurial and, and vision driven, um, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, you're not different than so many of us because there's that story of, you know what, I was really young and then this happened. I saw this thing. I experienced this. I went to this store and I was hooked. Um, so whether it was a lemonade stand or, or deciding to write newspaper articles in third grade, awesome. Now from there, you, you, you started going to school, of course. And one of the, the things, that, I mean, I laughed out loud when I saw this, you know, you, you told me you've been 
attended 12 years of college <laughs> and you're not a doctor. So what the heck? Not a I mean, doctor. Did, you, did you suck at it? Did you <laughs> go part time? Did you start and stop? Did you, you know, like what, what was this? What's the story of, uh, of the Van Wilder, you know, <laughs> uh, forever college experience. And was that what you planned on doing? Is that just kind of what happened? You didn't realize until you look back and, and lastly, are you happy that you did that or would you change it looking back? Um, to, you know, to answer the ending of that question first, I, back then in my 20s, I definitely wished I could have changed it. And now in my 40s and being sober, I'm very happy about the path that I took, um, even though I really do believe that had I hunkered down and, and cared about what I was doing at Ball State University, that I could have been a great sports broadcaster. I could have been Bob Costas. And, you know, as a little kid watching the Olympics, knowing I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to do it um, on television as well as writing, Bob Costas was a huge, huge um, idol of mine. And when I got into college in 1994 and started as a freshman at Ball State, my parents had just been divorced. And that summer, I decided to lash out against them by doing drugs and drinking copious amounts of alcohol. And when I got to Ball State, there was no parental supervision whatsoever on me. And I joined a fraternity and I majored in the Grateful Dead and going to concerts. But it turns out <laughs> Ball State I University. In the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I majored in the Grateful Dead. It turns out Ball State doesn't give you credit hours for that. And so my first three years, I, I really just party all the way through it. And then uh, my dad decided he was going to move off the family farm in Indiana uh, with my sister to Orlando. And I asked if I could go because clearly at Ball State, I was not going to accomplish anything. And that's when I moved to Orlando and did some junior college and a little bit of UCF and um, Valencia Community College. That's where I became a photo editor and did some really great work there with Orlando Sentinel. And um, finally, I got my grades in check and moved to the University of Florida. I was really taking I would take a full load in the, in the fall. I would barely take any classes, if any at all, in the spring. And then I'd take six credit hours in the summer so that I wouldn't have to reapply. Because if, if you took two semesters off in a row, you had to reapply. So, so, so you were having a period part-time. of time. Yeah, so, okay. So, you, so after a couple of years, you had a couple of years partying. Then you started just really attending part-time so you could keep the transcript growing and keep doing it. But you weren't being a full-time college student trying to graduate in four years. No, no, it wasn't a thing. I mean, you know, after those three years at Ball State University, my dad made it very clear he would no longer give me money for anything. And so I became to pay all my own way. And it wasn't until my last two years that I even finally took on student loans just so I could actually stop working full, a full load at the restaurant that and bartending so I could actually focus on school. And that's when I started taking on student loans. But up till then, I was just paying my own way. So one semester on, one semester off, you know, six credit hours in the summer. So I was really a part-time student. It just, from 94 when I graduated high school till 2006 when I crossed, when I walked across the University of Florida stage, 12 years. But in reality, I, I think I figured it out once that I only took 18 semesters. And if you break that down, if there's three semesters in a school year, it really only took me six, six years. years. Ah, only six years. That's not bad. <laughs> only six. Yeah. I mean, you know, in this day and age, I think, you know, a lot of people, I would recommend taking that, that, that gap year first and foremost, boy, that would have been a great idea for my, Dude, part. can I tell you, man, like, you know, speaking as an American, most people don't even know what the heck that is. And I think it's just something it's so missed. You know, I, I didn't have that. Now I also didn't go to school. Um, and you know my story. We know each other pretty well. Like I finished high school 
and and went right. I actually finished high school a semester early because I was involved in drugs and drinking and had a pretty uh, pretty spotty uh, teenage years. And when I got sober at uh, in my junior year at sixteen, and, and just turned seventeen, I I got so far ahead because at the continuation school I came back to my original school, graduated early at the semester. So I went to three and a half semesters of high school. And then I started work. I think I graduated January and started working in March. And then it's just like, it's been a whirlwind. Now it's been 20 years. So, but even that, it's like, I wish I took that year and said, I'm going to do this gap year and I'm going to go study abroad. I'm going to go visit. I'm going to go travel, do something. So you reckon that's one of the things looking back, you really recommend uh, kids moving into adulthood would do. Absolutely. At 18 years old, what do you really know about what you want to do in college anyways? And, and I get some people financially that may not necessarily benefit them. They can't go backpack through Europe and whatnot. But I'll tell you what, go, go get yourself a job and, and start putting in some sweat hours for what you're trying to accomplish in life. And you're going to get into college and realize, okay, you know, do I really want to work at that restaurant, be a dishwasher? Do I really want to be, you know, driving that bus, whatever it was you got as a summer job. And I lifeguarded uh, went wild for a few uh, years right after I dropped out of Ball State University. And I realized immediately that, you know, if I didn't get this college education, I would not be set up for very well uh, success in the future. But at the same time, I was really just enjoying the fact that, oh, okay, this is, this is fun. I'm young. I can do this. And I really think that more people should just attack the youth a little bit more and enjoy the learning process and not Oh, right out of high school. Let's get to college. Right out of college, let's get a job, and let's just go through that normal, you know, American dream type script. Uh, slow it down a little bit, and really make sure you're happy with what you're trying to do in the future. Because you could be like me, and I, while I changed my major countless times, it always came back to journalism. But man, it would have benefited me wildly to have gotten a job right out of high school and not gone straight into college, where without parents watching over me, it was just you know. Grateful Dead time. <laughs> so, so let let's let's flip the script. Speaking of Grateful Dead time, let's talk about Grateful Alive time and and productivity time. So, once you cleaned up kind of your act, so to speak, and you quit doing all the partying, you in your story, you you learned a lot about how to really get things accomplished and take care of stuff. And that's a lot of what you're doing at College Success Habits on your podcast yeah. uh, and, and and coaching and so forth is really about like. How do you how do you be productive? How do you manage your time? How do you get that accomplished? And and I love that you're teaching, especially some of these students, you're teaching really early, right? So they don't have to to learn it, you know, in their 30s and 40s. They can learn it before they actually need it, and they can they can do that in school. So let's talk productivity a little bit. Uh, and knowing you today, you're a super super productive on it. Let's get things handled. Let's get things accomplished kind of guy. What sparked the fire in your belly? Because you have a fire in your belly to like get things done, to move forward in life and what you're put here to do. And I, I see that in you. What was, what was the switch that flipped? And is there a story to that? Or when was that? And, and how do you figure it happened? Well, definitely the, the big broad catalyst was the sobriety angle of my life. You know, when uh, I broke my leg on August, August of 2016 and I was sober exactly six months later, broke my leg on August 13th, skydiving, uh, sober, um, and six months of just going down a deep hole when I got sober. Wait, 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 wait. you broke your leg skydiving? Yeah, so I, I was- I thought that was supposed to be safe. Yeah, it, well, if you, you better know how to land appropriately, and I was on my fourth jump of the weekend, and I was going through my own skydiving training, because I've got a TV show idea that requires that I know how to skydive in it, so I was like, so cool. So you were solo? 
Yeah, yeah, I was on my fourth solo oh, jump of the, of the weekend, and I braked, uh, they call it flaring, and you're supposed to flare at about 15 feet from the ground. I flared at 30, and when you do that, the guy's like, you know, that's okay, just bend your legs, and whenever you land, just make sure you roll, and don't release the parachute back up because it will dive you towards the ground and you'll freak out and you'll probably extend your leg and it'll break and i was like okay cool i got it and so the, <laughs> oh no so then i exactly did what he told me not to do and the whole left leg it's just exploded i tore all, i tore all these ligaments i broke the leg in multiple places oh and, geez uh, it was bad and then um I, I laid in my bed for the next three months and and proceeded to drink myself into to damn near death. And you're right. I mean, super productive now. And in fact, Matt, I've always had this productivity in me. I tell people you can't stay in college and in that world for 12 years like I did and not have some really great productive, successful habits. But unfortunately, the drinking and the drugs was always was this cloud shroud over me. And so while people couldn't see the successes I was having, cause it was like, it's, it looked, must've looked like from the outside that I was just drinking every day away. And I certainly was doing a, my fair share of that. But when it was time to flip the switch and go into productivity mode, the amount of stuff I could accomplish in two or three days was flabbergasting. And when I got sober and I, you know, I, I met you, we, I got into neuro-linguistic programming, I started getting into life coaching again, I realized that all of these things I'm learning now would have been really awesome if someone would have told me then. Now, would I have listened? I don't, I don't know. I, I doubt it, but at least some of it would have gotten in. And well, so you I, are now. Right, right now you are, and that's a really good thing. So that's the best are, thing. What are, and what are some of the things that, that maybe some of the top, like say productivity tips, like I want to be productive in my day, in my week, in my life. Where do I start? Whether I'm young, old, I don't know. But where, where do I start to, to really take control of like my time and my, uh, my output? First and foremost, it was, it was a, this is one of the patterns that I learned from one of my peers. And he has us, Tom Rigsby, amazing man. He's actually my brother's father-in-law. So he's a family member. And him, he and I work together very closely. And we can, he has a system that I've since taken and, and expanded greatly. And we go priority and focuses. And you've got to have that one priority of your day. And then you have the four focuses. What's the difference you, between a priority and a focus? A priority is something that if you're laying in bed at 11 p.m. and you're about ready to fall asleep and all of a sudden you remember that you needed to get that done, you shoot up out of bed like your pants are on fire and you immediately start to work on it. If, if, if it would pull you out of bed right before you fell asleep, that needs to be your priority. And that, that should have been what you were working on or working toward all throughout the day. Whereas focuses can be things that you need to get done, but they're not necessarily something that would yank you out of bed. And if a focus gets stale over a day or two, it needs to move up to a prioritization. And the reason this works so effectively is that writing out a to-do list of 10 or 12 things can make you feel overwhelmed. And if you don't get it done, you don't get the dopamine hit. You don't feel like you won that day. So cut it down. And now you've got the one priority. You've got your four focuses. If you get the priority done, your day is a success. Call it right. If, you, if your priority was getting up at 9 a.m. and getting the and studying for that test and then taking that test and you're done with all that by noon, you can mail in the rest of the day if you want. Now, whether your schedule allows it is different, but if that's it's the mindset. Now, I noticed you said, um, and I want to expand on this, you, you used priority singular and focuses plural. Why? You can't, because if you have more than one priority and you now it's priorities, then you have no priorities. You can't have two priorities. It, it, it Why just, not? Because then 
because I don't know, it, look at it from this angle. It's if you're trying to prioritize two different things, one is always going to take up the other one. You, you can't look at two things being equal and expect to be able to spend the exact same amount of energy. Now, if you've got a priority for your morning and that's done, and now you've got something super important that can be your afternoon priority, that's great. Time, like chronologically, that could work. So at but, any given time, you can have one priority at a time. Yes. So basically, it's like this is the priority is the most because this is really important. And if you talked to me about this earlier, and I think it's so powerful. So going through our day, we can have up to one period, most important thing to do. You cannot have two priorities. If you do, then they're going to vie for time and you end up, I love that. I'm going to use that as your social media quote. If you have more than one priority, you have no priorities. Is that fair? Absolutely. Because I, I, I say that <laughs> to people quite often because they're like, well, you know, well, what if I have a, you know, I, but I've got to make it to my 11 a.m. class and I got to make it to my 2 p.m. and then I've got a meeting at five. You know, those are all super important. Well, then those should be the focuses. Are, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, those are all the focuses. But what's the one thing that if you didn't accomplish it, the day didn't happen? Or what's the one thing that if you did accomplish it, the day would be well spent already? I love that. I think that's really good. Um, and I, I was, I remember earlier you told me it was off air. Uh, we were sitting somewhere at a seminar or something. And I asked you about that. And you'd said, you know, priority pri, P-R-I. So that's the same prefix as primary, which is the prefix used for one. So hence it's one, it's first, there's only one, there's not multiple, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that makes perfect sense to me. So that's your priority. That's really cool. Um, let's talk about time management a little bit. So this gets into that. Um, what are, do you have any secrets for, or maybe kind of a top tip for how do I like, okay, here's, here's my personal thing. So I'm always feel like I'm running late to things, always running late to things. I got, I, I got a schedule. I have it pretty darn good and the calendar and everything. But if I have a 345 appointment, I'm like, Oh shoot, it's already 340. Like I always feel like I'm running behind. What what, what's your take on that? I'm certain whether it's in business or in life or in, in college world, there's people that are wired that are always early and on time to things, people that are wired almost to, to seem like they're running late. What, what, what do you do to help me? <laughs> Coach me, Jesse. <laughs> well, when it, if you have to leave your house to go to a meeting, it, it, showing up late to that is no longer acceptable because we have cell phones. You know, if, when I have to go across town, I live in Los Angeles, traffic is a bear and I have to be at a meeting at two o'clock. By noon, I've already plugged that address into my Google Maps and now I'm able to see how long it's going to take me to get there. And if it says one hour, I can't leave right at one because then I get there at two. But now where do I park? I got to pay for parking. I got to walk to wherever it is. I got to, that doesn't work. So you've got, you've, you've got to start using the technology around you for what it's there for, which is making your life more efficient. You're going to be on your phone or you're going to be reading a book. You're going to be doing something anyways at your house. Just go and be early to the meeting and then be on your phone there. That's why I tell my clients all the time or the students I talk to when I'm giving speeches, you're going to be on your phone regardless. Where does it matter where you're on your phone at? And so showing up late is no longer acceptable. Just saying, oh, what a great mindset shift, you know, just going, look, like you're going to be, you're going to be scrolling or doing something for those 10, 15 minutes that you don't know what happened to on your couch. Why not do that in the lobby? That's brilliant of where you're going. Yeah. I the think thing it's I super important. Sure, yeah. And the other thing I want to make sure people get to is, and you know, it's funny. I forgot about this, but what a great strategy. Thank you for reminding me. I've done this a couple of times as I try to get more on top of it. When it's since I moved to Michigan, I'm going places where I don't know how far away they are. And it was brilliant. So rather than waiting till I get in my car and then plugging in the address and the map, when I'm like up getting, like eating breakfast or making coffee or something, 
I open up my map and I plug in the address and I hit it. And then all of a sudden it says, as if I'm going right now, right? right. And then it'll say, say I'm supposed to be there at 10, uh, 10 o'clock appointment. And I plug it in early. It says, okay, arrival, uh, 8.52. And I look at what time it is and I go, okay. It's almost like a countdown timer, you know? I love, I love that. And that's exactly how I use it. In fact, I've got a meeting tomorrow morning. I've got to be at by 9 a.m. in Woodland Hills, which is about an hour away. And it's been raining a lot. So the last three mornings at when I've gotten up for my day at 6 a.m., I've opened up Google Maps and the address is already in there. And then I go ahead and hit start. And I've been watching how the traffic flow changes. And I've noticed that no matter how bad the traffic gets, the worst it will take is an hour and 15 minutes. So if I've got to be there by 845, always you know, early is on time, on time is late, late is unacceptable. Get it into your head, people. That's the kind of mentality you need to have about going to meetings. So now I know if I want to be there at 845 and the worst it's been is one an hour and 15 minutes, then in order to give myself a nice cushion, I need to leave no later than seven o'clock. And I, you know, and it takes a little bit of forethought, but if you care enough to be on time to things because you respect your time and you respect other people's time, uh, it's a great mindset to get yourself into. And once you get into the habit of checking on it, it, it will become, you'll, it'll feel uncomfortable to you not to open up Google Maps and start doing that countdown. I really like that. So to start the new habit, that'll be awesome. Awesome. Um, as we're winding down here with our really cool, if you want to um, follow Jesse, by the way, you should follow him. I'll talk about it at the end at Instagram, Facebook at Jesse Mogul. It's M-O-G-U-L, Jesse Mogul, J-E-S-S-E. Um, and your website is collegesuccesshabits.com. That's, of course, where you have your podcast showing up as well, College Success Habits by the same name. You have uh, some kind of a, a gift, a, a template or a, a like a perfect day type of thing, a blueprint. Could you tell me about that real quick? And, and how do we get access to it? Absolutely. I, I, I love that you did, you did the usual misspelling of my name. And I think it's oh, good. We, we, we were talking about ski moguls before. The oh, show. I did. I did. M-O-G-U-L is a ski mogul <laughs> and I've never been a good skier. So it's probably because my name is jinx me. It's so I know your name. It's, it's yeah. M O G L E my bad. That's all right. It's, it's a German, it's a German name and it's a fantastic that I, no one is ever going to spell it right. No matter what, we'll say it 17 times in the next two minutes and people will still misspell it. Uh, but if you could go and send me an email at jesse at jesse, M-O-G-L-E, mogul.com, um, I'll get to my, it's called the life blueprint. It's really meant for those people who feel like even whenever they're on top of their productivity and their time management, that some area of their life seems to not get the attention that it needs or, you know, when they're really focused on their relationships, their career takes a hit or when they're focused on themselves, their relationships take a hit. I've figured out a way to completely organize your life into 12 quadrants based on the three spheres of life, career, self, relationships in the so form. This is a, this, so this fantastic. is a blueprint. Okay. So sorry to interrupt. Uh, That's fine. I started to get into a little bit too much technical details and I can, I can ramble on about that a little bit longer than we probably No, you, you do. I love it. We can nerd out on this stuff. So, and tell me the name of it again. It's called life's blueprint. So life's blueprint. You can get it by emailing Jesse at Jesse Mogul as J E S S E M O G L E Jesse at Jesse Mogul.com. You get life's blueprint. You can organize your life around the three spheres and the 12 areas. And he gets into all that. He shows you the whole thing and it's free. That's awesome. And then make sure you check it out at uh, collegesuccesshabits.com. You can see his podcast, subscribe. Uh, and there's obviously, whether you're in college or not, there's going to be a ton of info for you because it's about really success habits that we can apply in most areas. Jesse, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Absolutely. I sure appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Matt. All right, guys. 
That was the show with Jesse Mogul. Man, what a cool dude. Make sure, again, you follow him on Instagram and Facebook at Jesse Mogul. Again, it's J-E-S-S-E-M-O-G-L-E. I know that now. Jesse Mogul. And the website is collegesuccesshabits.com. You can find out more about uh, his podcast and grab that life's blueprint. It's a pretty cool thing. I'm getting mine now. I'm emailing him right now at jesse at jessemogul.com. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. Always love these interviews on Fridays. More coming at you. Thank you so much. And as usual, get out there and crush it.